0: to the 3 d Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and uh, we are so glad to be back. It's been a very fun uh, sports weekend, a lot of stuff going on uh, around the Memphis area, especially. Um, my regular co-host, Justin Lewis, had to step away this week uh, due to um, uh, some commitments. And so I am glad to welcome a familiar voice again, Parker Fleming from the Core 4 Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Parker? I'm pretty good, Sean. How are you? Can't complain at all, man. I I know that uh, you've had a eventful weekend. Uh, congratulations on the uh, news when it comes to football for your Ole Miss Rebels. Shoot, I appreciate that. All aboard the lane train. That may have been one of the best um, uh, uh, promos I've seen. The 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 fifty second uh, Twitter thing. I watched it multiple times. That that was an awesome promo. Um, but uh, you know, you know, Parker. I, obviously, we're here to talk basketball. But you know, I'll get your thoughts on this real quickly. A lot of stuff going on. Lane Kiffin now at Ole Miss. Obviously, Mike Norvell at Florida State, and a new coach potentially coming into Memphis. You know. In general, with sports, we know this is a sports crazed town. What are your thoughts? What all your thoughts about the comings and goings? Do you think the situation around here, in terms of you know sports in general, has improved because of what's going on, or do you think it could take a step back? Um, for
1: one, with the Ole Miss hiring, I love the Lane Kiffin hire. I think at this point, a lot of people were growing apathetic in regards to the program. I mean, nobody even really was bothered by, you know, a four and eight season. It was just kind of like, eh, oh, well, we're used to it. And so they needed to do something. Enrollment was down. People were complaining about the performance of the team. And also you had to get people excited and nobody's going to excite you more, at least out of all the coaches on the market, than Lane Giffen. So I love to hire there. I think Memphis will be fine. They're returning uh, Brady White. Kenneth Gainwell next year, and I think those are that's a very strong QB running back duo, regardless of conference. And as long, and then also with a favorable schedule, I mean, they can come back next year and still have a very similar season to this season.
0: Well, and and that's that's the thing about it is that you know I. I feel like that Norvell, I, I just, I, you know, obviously, you know, me and you, we are not, we are Memphis Tiger fans in the extent of we, you know, we wish him the best. But, you know, our, our uh, allegiance is yours lies with Ole Miss, mine lies with Tennessee. And, you know, I can definitely back up that Lane Kiffin makes things more exciting. But I agree with you. You know, I think Memphis should do what it should do what it can or what it needs to do to, you know, make the continuity of what Norville built here continue. And, you know, I think that, you know, the lasting thing is, you know, with Kiffin now here, Norville departing. You know the thing is, there's a it's a big exciting time in Memphis sports, and it, it's a lot of fun. You know, being able to experience it, and you know for for us, you know, cover it. But let's get to the reason why we're here. You know, of course, you can find Parker. You know, Parker is a man, of uh, many many talents with GBB. Um, you you can see Parker obviously his work weekly on Grizzly Bear Blues, the Core Four podcast with Nathan Chester, Grizzly Bear Blues live with Joe Molenax, um, and you know obviously he supports um, the The site on Instagram, Twitter, and everything else. You can follow Parker at P A K A underscore F L A K A. And you can uh, follow me at Stats S A C and, of course, the podcast at d Pod. But, Parker, let's get into the conversation here. So, we're six weeks into the season. And the overwhelming thing is, is that, you know, last year we came off in a, a historic working class seeing what Luka Doncic and uh, um, I can't even talk. Trey is doing down in Atlanta. Um, Trey Young, but now we've got into a rookie class in 2019 where we're even more fo- focused on it. Because, it, in all honesty, it seems like Memphis has got the two best rookies: John Morant, Brandon Clark. What are your overall thoughts on this rookie class so far? You know, as we're awaiting our rookies to come back into the fold.
1: Um. I did read an article the other day from The Athletic's John Hollinger, who also was in the Grizzlies' front office, and he kind of echoed a lot of the concerns that I have. I just don't think this rookie class is that strong. I think it's also full of players that, you know, that like casual fans might think it's are like doing pretty good. You know, your R.J. Barrett's, Darius Garland's, Kobe White's, where they make strong plays every once in a while. They have some flashy nights, but for the most part, they're not really impactful players, and I just think this class is full of them. And it's also full of players that teams use picks on that they weren't really focused on this year. It was more of a long-term thing. I know Orlando used theirs on the Auburn player that tours ACL in the tournament last year and then Detroit uses errors on CQ Duombaya. The Spurs use theirs on some European, but it doesn't matter because he'll end up being a starter quality player anyways, knowing the San Antonio Spurs. But I mean, I'm pretty disappointed in this rookie class because I kind of fell in love with this rookie class to an extent when I was following it and covering it because at first I was preparing for the eighth pick, and I was like, wow, there are so many different options for where the Grizzlies could go. And then factoring in the fact that the Grizzlies were in the trade market for an extra first round pick when it comes to Mike Conley. So the idea of getting both John Morant and then a second first round pick, whether it was a Brandon Clark who ended up being, or even a guy like PJ Washington or Tyler Hero. Um, I just think right now, John Morant's a runaway and I think this rookie class is underwhelming, but I like that there's a little bit of upside
0: and I think also something that contributes to it is, you know, obviously you have had very few drafts where you've had just clearly, um, you know, the one perceived talent that, you know, potentially was generational in Zion Williams and he hasn't played yet. That's kind of watered down things as well. But that leads to my next question. Obviously, you know, as we've discussed in terms of classes in this, in this rookie class, you've got Zion in his own class. John Morant was second, you know, we can debate you know where you know how close Jaw is to Zion another time, but Zion is is probably coming back probably close to Christmas, maybe the new year. Jaw, we got news today is probably coming back uh, when you see how the Grizzlies are managing him, the load management obviously managing his injuries, Parker, do you think that the rookie of the year um, potential that Jaw has that plays a part in how they handle you know his management and should it play a part?
1: Um, I don't really think so, because I think, for one, he is the runaway favorite for Rookie of the Year. And two, I think he's just wired in the way where he's going to play regardless. He's a true competitor. He wants to get out there and play. And for an NBA point guard, your best reps are playing, and it's the hardest position to learn. And also, too, the fan base will grow a little loud and say they want to see John Morant. So let's be real. He is the big-ticket player for the Grizzlies, and it's probably the first big-ticket player the Grizzlies have had since OJ Mayo, probably, in terms of just that flashiness and that aura of like, damn, I got to go see this guy play. So I don't think it, the rookie of the year thing is going to play much of a factor. It's just going to be one of those things if he's actually hurt or not.
0: And that's the other thing about it is that you know when you look at John Morant's production, when you look at Brandon Clark's production, you know, i I was thinking before we got on here, it was hard to think where you have had um one team who just clearly had the best draft in the NBA in the Memphis Grizzlies. They truly did this year. Now, yeah, it comes with a, you know, within a uh, um a week class overall. But I do think, you know, that this class for the Grizzlies is, you know, obviously the best in franchise history. But so now the news with Jaw coming back, what do you expect from his management? Do you think that we're going to see minutes restrictions, things such as that? Probably the first few games back, maybe 20 minutes or so. How do you think the Grizzlies should handle that? And and do you think that um, we basically should just let him fly um, as if he's good as new? Um, I'm not really
1: for low managing him. I think it's just however he feels. If he feels up to playing 30 minutes, yeah, play him 30 minutes. But if he's down to play 20, play him 20. It just comes down to how he feels. And the franchise at this point, I think, it kind of revolves around him and Jaron and how they feel and both how they feel about certain situations in regards to maybe coaching or play calling or in regards to how they want to be load managed. And if it comes to a point where Jaws like, okay, I got to probably play 20 or 25 minutes, sure. And also with that extra (sighs) playing time, I would like it if maybe D'Anthony Melton could um, get some playing time there. But it's one of those things where I don't see the point in load managing him.
0: I agree completely. I mean, at the end of the day, I do understand that you don't want to, you know, overexert him. You don't want to burn him out, whatever, you know, phrase you want to use. But at the end of the day, he is 20 years old. And, you know, that's the thing. He's your ticket. He's what's going to give you the best chance to win playing. Let him play. He knows himself enough to where he'll be honest with you about how to handle it. You know, you were talking about play calling and coaching, and, and another thing that you know is starting to, to to really hit me in a positive way. I wrote a bit of it. Uh, I wrote a bit about it over at Grizzly Bear Blues. You did too. But talking about Taylor Jenkins, and you know, we really. Over the J.B. Bickerstaff years, you know, even with David Fisdale, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, it been a while since the Grizzlies have had a coach that truly added value. And I feel that we're now getting that, you know, with Taylor Jenkins, you know, maybe the first one since Dave Yeager. He, I, I think that it comes from, you know, kind of like you mentioned with Taylor Jenkins, his ability to let his players be who they are. But I really do think that, you know, for instance, our shooting ability, you know, since that San Antonio game improving as much as it has when we're at full strength despite us not having a lot of shooting talent, I think that's a clear sign that Taylor Jenkins is is adding value and also with our ability to pass.
1: Yeah, I think Jenkins is adding a ton of value. I mean for one his ATOs have been really strong and I like the dedication to actually playing to a pace and space system. I think a part of it, too, is just kind of clearing out everything from grit and grind and kind of this whole thing of like, hey, we've won off this style. We're going to roll with this. Like He's actually allowed to go in and play with his play style. And I think he's actually adding value there. Um, And it's all across the board. I mean, I don't... Granted, people kind of say whatever about his rotations, but just think. He's a rookie head coach. He's never been in charge of making rotations. So he's going to grow there. He'll be fine there. One thing I do like that he does within his rotations is in those last minutes, like in the last five or six minutes, he rolls with the hot hand. If you don't have it that night, he's not going to play you at the end of games. I mean, against Chicago the other night, he left Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. on the bench because that lineup of, I want to say it was Tyus, Melton, Grayson, Solomon Hill... And actually, it might have been Melton, Grayson, Solomon, Jay, and Jonas. They were rolling, and like he just rolled with that instead of putting Jaron and Dylan back out there because it wasn't their night, and they were getting the game back and just like getting the game back. And granted, they didn't win, but it shows that okay, he's gonna look at the look at who's hot, and he did that a few weeks, probably about a month ago against Minnesota, where. He rolled with, I want to say it was like Ja, Dylan, Jay, Kyle, Brandon. Because Jaron Jackson Jr. was didn't have anything going that night. So I do like that kind of aspect of it. But what are you thinking in terms of like adding value? Because I did read your column. It was very good. But I just want you to elaborate more on like where you're seeing that he adds value compared to guys like Jaeger and Bickerstaff and Fizdale.
0: Well, it's the offense, and 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 naturally, you're going to get. It, he's. It's different from what we're used to as Grizzlies fans. So yeah, there's that value, and you also get the quantity of, of what he's implementing in the. Um, uh, in the amount of plays. So, so your counting stats, your amount of, of points, your, your, your amount of highlight plays, things such as that they're naturally going to go up. So, so in that aspect, you know, yeah, he, he, he's adding value, you know, on the surface, but in terms of taking this roster and making it better, making it more competitive than many may have thought, there are underlying statistics that show he is doing that too. In the article I put in there, the San Antonio game was the turning point between, when we were fully healthy between San Antonio, the San Antonio game on November 11th and uh, Mike Conley's second um, time back to the forum on the 29th, the Grizzlies were second in the NBA in three-point shooting. Who would have thought that was possible um, you know, coming into the season? But yet there they are. And he also has expanded the game of a lot of our players. Clark and Morant's three-point shooting ability is more advanced than people thought. He's turned Jaron into a, a you know a legitimate you know elite three-point shooting big man. Um, he, he he's made a uh, Jay Crowder and and Dylan Brooks better. He's uh, found how to efficiently use um, Kyle Anderson, and play him at a high level. It doesn't matter where this roster is, what type of player he's dealing with on the roster. He's made the players that are the most significant to our success better. And that's why I think that he is adding value overall. Um, the other thing about it is is that I love his concepts. Like, for instance, I, I guess for lack of a better phrase, I call it the circle of life, the circle that goes above the free throw line and then the dotted line that goes into the lane. A lot of the grizzly success happens in that circle. It's John Morant's ability to shield the defender, to either shoot a runner or pass out to a three-point shot. We've seen Tyus. Tyus has been his most successful despite struggling, going into that um, uh, spot, shooting his runner, and so is Brandon Clark. So he's implementing strategies and, and schemes that... Different lineups can be successful with. It's no matter if it's our, you know, mix of a second and third unit or if it's our starters, he's having success. So It's not just that he's made the starters better. He's made the roster up and down more competitive. And I think that it's showing we not only are playing better, but we're improving. And I think that we are playing at a level that is higher than, you know, the individual talent levels that are on the roster. Does that make sense? Do you feel Parker, that when it comes to adding value, that's what you're looking for. You want to both see a coach that can expand the game's, of the players individually while also um, increasing the ceiling uh, of the team overall?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you brought up a good point about a lot of the, a few of the players that he's done that for, for one, Jaren Jackson Jr. I saw a lot. I remember last year, J.B. Bickerstaff used him a lot in the post. And I even saw where my um, like people were clamoring saying like, hey, he needs to be, Jaren needs to be in the post more but I have not seen a guy at his size with his kind of handle and his kind of perimeter of the game. I mean, it's not even something that some of the, the unicorns such as Anthony Davis, Christos Porzingis, um, Giannis or well, Giannis. He can like handle the ball really well, but he can't shoot at all. And also to guys like Joel Embiid. Also, he has a, Handle and his ability to get Shots off off the dribble at his Size is unbelievable And I'm also looking here in the past 16 games so since The last game he was out Or actually since That Minnesota uh, Goose egg so his last 15 games he's shooting 41.5% from 3 on 6.3 attempts per game Mm -hmm. And in, in the process he's averaging 18 points and that's something you that the NBA is going towards. is that modern big that's canning, you know, five or six threes a game. And that's really only something that Carl Anthony Towns can is doing right now. And the thing is, Jaron Jackson's only 20 years old. Over time he'll learn those different nuances of picking and choosing his spots on the floor. And maybe that includes getting a mid range game. And also, too, you mentioned Brandon Clark, and he was kind of like an anomaly in the NBA, like in pre-draft scouting, because nobody knew his position, because he's six eight with a six eight wingspan, yet he's been making a difference at the five, as a small ball five off the bench, kind of similar in that Montrez Harrell role, where he gets to be just that effective rim runner that can occasionally shoot the three or take players off the dribble, off closeouts. And he can also switch in the pick and roll and guard perimeter players. And not even that; he's showing value within guys like Dylan Brooks, Anthony Mountain, Grayson Allen, Solomon Hill. Who just think the Pelicans' salary cap or salary dumped him off to Atlanta, and Atlanta essentially did a double salary dump with him and Miles Plumley for Chandler Parsons, and he's been one of the more efficient players on this team. So and I think that's a lot to do with Coach Jenkins and the and the system he's implementing.
0: And I'll say this before we get to the to, to the next uh, the thing that I wanted to talk with you about. It's the decisiveness. And I think that that's what a lot of it has to do with, Parker, is that Coach Jenkins has put confidence in his players. The only way that we're going to improve as a team, the only way that we're going to gel into it, evolve into a contender, is for y'all to be confident in your games, to be able to display your strengths and have confidence that, hey, if you make a mistake – there's going to be opportunity to make up for it and surpass it, and I think that that's what it comes down to. And this team is is so much more confident that than you know that, that when we struggled, you know, over the past two years. And, and I think that it's because these players have the confidence and knowing their coach supports them. Um, you know, not only playing their game, but also in being able to on the fly improve their game, involve, evolve their game. And that's that's one of the things that comes along with the coach adding value. These players know that if they trust in him and they listen to him and they and, and they go with what he suggests, it's going to make them better. And I think that that's a lot of times a missing element in a rebuild. I think that when you look at successful rebuilds versus non-successful rebuilds is do the players have trust in the coach, confidence in the coach that he can make them better? And I think I think that the Grizzlies have focused on implementing that from the start, and it's really just starting to pay off um you know exponentially. And hopefully that's what will make us a contender sooner uh, than than many may have thought. But speaking of uh, how he's helping players, you know, obviously we talked about it when Brandon Clark and John Morant went down players were going to have to step up into expanded roles. We've seen Bruno do that, you know, amongst others. Solomon Hill has done that as well. But two guys that really, really have, have shown that they can deliver if called upon are the Melton and Grayson Allen, you know, someone that I know you um, have been a fan of. Your thoughts on their play, Parker, and, you know, what do you think happens once Morant is back, you know, how and with the struggle struggles of Tyus Jones, how do the Grizzlies find minutes for all these guys?
1: That's one thing I'm trying to figure out because it's not even finding minutes for when Jaw gets back. But inevitably, when Josh Jackson gets caught up, where where do That's minutes better. go? Um, with Grayson, his minutes won't be effect, uh, affected much. But it's a conversation I always have with Nate on the Core Four is he likes the idea of playing guys with that one elite skill over a guy that can do everything good, like pretty well. And that he uses that argument with Melton versus Marco versus Grayson as Melton's an elite defender. Marco in theory is an elite shooter and Grayson just does a lot of little things. Well, but Grayson has shown that I think over this past stretch, I mean, him and De'Anthi Mellon have been the most productive players in the backcourt since John Morant's gone down. Grayson does a really good job of picking and choosing his spots while also maintaining an aggressiveness as far as getting to the goal and making plays. Whether it's just getting to the goal and even just getting stuck and kicking it back out to re... To... Reboost the offense a little bit or to finish with that little floater that he likes. He's found he's finding his outside shot now as well. He's shooting around 40% in the past four games from three. He also does a really good job just making energy plays, you know, just whether it's tapping out a loose ball or grab grabbing rebounds or running out in transition so that players can hit him for fast break layups. I mean, He's adding value there, and I don't see why you put him on the bench at this point. And same thing with De'Anthony Melton. He does everything well. He's a pest defensively. His scoring's a lot further along than I anticipated. Um, he's an extraordinary rebounder for a guard, and that's where it gets tough because you had this guy, D'Anthony Melton, that could be a part of the Grizzlies' future and like real- realistically be a part of the Grizzlies' future. As well with with Allen as well. But Melton is in a different spot because he's actually playing against somewhat of a veteran. I mean, Tyus Jones is still 24, 25 years old, but he's been in the league for five years. But right now, D'Anthony Melton is playing better. But there's still value in Tyus where he's going to push the tempo. He's going to find He's going to find touches for the guys that need it on the court with him but he's just not shooting or scoring well. And that that kind of stuff's magnified over the stuff he does well. But the Grizzlies also have that investment with him where they gave him a three-year, $25 million contract. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they balance things. I think things will... I, I've said this on GBB Live and I've said it on Core 4. This Grizzlies team is not deep enough to have a set rotation every night. You, I think Jenkins has the luxury... To where after, you know, Ja, Dylan, Crowder, Jaron, Jonas, Kyle, and Clark, it's fair game. Those seven should have solidified playing time, but that eight through 13, that should just kind of differ each night. I mean, it could be matchup based, it could be hot hand based, and granted, Getting extra reps is can get you out of a slump, but also they have they gotta see what they have out of everyone. And you're not gonna you're not gonna see what you have out of D'Anthony Melton or Marco Guterich if you're just playing Grayson Allen or vice versa. You don't know what you're gonna get from Grayson Allen or D'Anthony Melton if you're playing Marco Guterich. So I think that's part of just seeing what they have and just finding where they can add they can maximize their value in the system, if that all makes
0: sense it does and and i think it's 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 about you know prioritizing what you don't know versus what you know. Like for instance, we know Tyus Jones's game. You know, we know how efficient he is, you know, Peter Edmondston. you know, a wonderful, wonderful mind over at the athletic, you know, he talked about it and I, and I thought it, you know, from the beginning, I thought that the Morant Jones, when we signed Jones, I was, I, I think that several people were saying, this is the best backup point guard we've ever had. And I think that him and Morant combined make up the best point guard combination we've ever had. But if, He's got a high floor of efficiency, but yet he's struggling scoring. Well, then, yeah, I think that you know Solomon Hill, Marco Guduric, who you you doesn't he he plays well at times, but his shooting is not as good as we had hoped for. And while he does contribute, I don't think he has as high of a ceiling as a Milton or a Jackson or an Allen. And so I think that Hill, Jones, and Gudurich are three guys who, yeah, you don't sit here and have a set minute for them every single night, but I think you do put a priority on developing Jackson, Melton, um, and Allen over those. Gudurich Hill, and Jones, because you know you kind of know what you have in those guys. I know Godurich you don't know, you don't really know, but you kind of have an idea that, that you know he is looked at as a shooter. But I think that the ceiling and the potential of Jackson, Milton, and Allen, I think that's that. You know, that takes precedent. And I also think that one thing that Allen really could, you know, solve for the Grizzlies, eventually a lot of people see Dylan Brooks as that sixth man off the bench. But, you know, if if Allen can provide the same type of scoring impact that Clark can, he probably won't. But if he can get eight to ten points a night, for instance, if between Clark and Allen, we could get 20 points a night, that's – an, an absolutely awesome asset to have. And so I think that the Grizzlies are reaching the point of the season where past the quarter the quarter point you've got to prioritize the development of your players' ceilings more than settling for those players that you know about. So, yes, while Tyus does bring value as a leader and as a stabilizer, playing Melton, some of his minutes, I think, really can help things out. Um, Parker, when it comes to Milton, I don't know if this is the best comparison, but does his game not remind you a bit of DeLone Wright? Um,
1: I think his game reminds me more of uh, Avery Bradley, maybe. Maybe okay. a, a combination of the two. I think his defense is very reminiscent of Avery Bradley, but I like how his – I think his offense game is kind of similar to DeLon Wright in a sense. He just kind of does everything on the floor as far as rebounding, passing the basketball, scoring the basketball. His shot reminds me a lot. His actual mechanics remind me a lot of Avery Bradley. And I did really like this quote that he said in – um, a piece that I read from Anthony Sane over at Sports Illustrated. Go over and check out Grizz. The Grizz Mabin if you if you haven't yet, but he had a chance to talk to DeAnthony Melton, and he asked him about that comparison too, everybody. and he just said, I'm trying to be my own player. I'm just trying to be the best version of DeAnthony I could be. I don't have that in front of me, but it said something like that, and I thought that was really cool. So to answer your question in a shorter sense, yes.
0: I listened to um, a a podcast. You know, um, it was basically a departing podcast, an exit podcast, I guess you could say, with some Suns guys with Melton as he was heading to the Grizzlies after the trade with Javon Carter. And he seems like a guy who's sure of himself, and that's that's that again is something to you know uh, put value in. When you have a game that you know is not necessarily confined to, oh, he's a scorer, he's a he's a you know great assist guy. You know, when you're a do it all type of guy with Melton, you know that confidence in knowing that you can play your game and play it well to the point that you can be a significant asset. Mm-hmm. I think that's what separates him and you know makes it to where his future is something to invest in. But we're talking all about the guys who you know you want to develop. We also do have a couple of guys, um, uh, Parker, again, Parker Fleming here with us. Just a few more uh, talking points here. But Jay Crowder and Jonas Valanciunas. I think that Jenkins has definitely added value to their offensive game. But now, obviously, we're going to get past this December 15th. Deadline, Parker, and to me, yes, the Andre Iguodala conversation is, um, you know, something that you have. Um, it, it's something that eventually you want to get resolved and move forward with, as long and, and hopefully not to the point to where it's a distraction, you know, from the Grizzlies team. But. Jay Crowder and Jonas Valanciunas, I think, are two other assets you at least listen on. But in my opinion, you know, I think Jay Crowder may be just as important to want to hold on to beyond this year than Jonas. Are are you to that point with Crowder and how he's braced this Grizzlies team, the city, and how his play has been so far?
1: Um, I feel about Jay. I think it's more of how I feel about Jonas. Um, Okay. Kind of in a sense of how Solomon Hill is off the bench, I think Jonas is a stabilizer in the start in the starting five. Okay, just because he can go, he'll go get you to at least ten rebounds every night, and he's good for fifteen points. He can go get you in the easiest bucket. I mean, I'm looking at this right now, and his last ten games, he's averaging sixteen and ten, as well as two assists a game and shooting 65% from the field, and he's shooting about 1-3 a game at a 40% clip. There's value in that, yeah. and I also just think with that, I don't think Brandon Clark's ready to be a full-time starting center, and neither is Jaron Jackson Jr. I just see more value in Jonas Valanciunas, and also too, eventually he's the kind of guy that you could transition over to a bench role, and have him as that super sub, maybe in year two or year three of his contract, while guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark are the ones starting. Um, with Jay Crowder, um, I do think there's a lot of value in him and just being that veteran leader. Again, another veteran stabilizer who is going to embody Jing. It's system of letting it fly. But I can see – I do want them to keep one of Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill for the rest of the season just because I think they add a lot of value at in the locker room as a veteran voice. Um, but I think one of them will get moved, not just because of um, their expiring contracts and contenders wanting them. But I do think they will want to see if they can shore up some minutes towards the end of the season – and see what they have out of guys like Marco Guterich and Josh Jackson, two guys that two guys that both play that three and four that could play that three and four role going forward, because it could also make a difference in roster crunching for next season and seeing if those are one or two players that they want on this roster next season and potentially beyond that.
0: And, and I agree with you uh, and now. I, I see more of the value in Jonas than I did in the past. You know, in, in March of last year, when him and Conley were playing so well, we were more competitive than we had been in two years. I put it, took it with a little bit of grain of salt, you know, just saying that, you know, this is a guy who just is dominating an opportunity on a bad team. But the thing about it is, is that Jonas is, in one person um, takes care of a few areas of concern that are future core, you could see, you know, them having weaknesses in, and that's rebounding and, you know, work around the rim. Well, Jonas being there, he takes care of the rebounding. He gives you a post presence that you can add a wrinkle to your offensive playbook. And he also is a rim protector, you know, on defense that allows for you to extend out, you know, on Jaron and Brandon. Now, I believe that, you know, it is important to look at, you know, as good as he is on offense, how much is he giving that back on defense? But again, Jenkins is smart enough to be able to use that. And if you do get Jonas back in a bench role, I do think that you can manage that even more. But I do agree. I, I think Jonas has a place on this team for the future. You see a lot of these bigs off the benches who just, you know, they add so much value in those second units. And if you can get Jonas shot opportunities, and not to mention the fact he's the best free throw shooter on the team. He is a remarkable free throw shooter. If you can continue getting him looks and get him to the free throw line, I think it can add a lot of value as, as a consistent source of offense. You know, obviously that the Grizzlies are, you know, in need of, you know, now more than ever as they're continuing to improve their core. Parker, one last thing I wanted to ask. We've talked about Jaron Jackson, and you wrote an article. It seems like since you ever wrote that article about instant gratification, Jaron now is delivering. Obviously, his offensive game has expanded. He's a better shooter than a lot of us thought. We think that when it comes to an ins- his inside game, you know, utilizing it effectively, you know, makes sense as well. But his defense, the, the the part of his game where we thought that he had the highest ceiling, you know, to me, it, I don't necessarily want to say he's taken a step back. I just think that it's not standing out as much. Is that the thought that you have? And I mean, we could put it on the fact that he's still 20, which is fine. But do you feel last year, did you think he'd be further along than he has shown so far this season with his defense? Um, I think he's been
1: fine. Um, I mean, I am mean, looking at the numbers and he has taken a step back in defensive rating, possession, steals per 100 possessions, defensive blo- uh, box plus minus. He's actually a negative in that, whereas he, he was a positive in it last year. Um, so, yes, he has regressed as a defender. Um, I'm not too concerned about it, to be honest. Um, I think he gets himself, I mean, the foul trouble is a big hindrance. And I think over time, he will learn the nuances and tricks of not picking up fouls while sneakily playing good defense, and it will come. Um, he's also an entirely new system, and I think also he can use a little bit more help on the perimeter and finding good defenders on the perimeter. I'm not too worried about it. I, I like the advancements he's made offensively because as of right now, that's where the Grizzlies are going to need him the most going forward is offense. The defense will come along, but let's just have him round out his offensive game and kind of give Jenkins a vision of how he wants to use Jaron as an offensive weapon.
0: And that's the thing that I think that, you know, you kind of keep in mind is that, you know, everybody wants to see Jackson Jr. You know, instead of, you know, he has all this potential, but they want to see the production, you know, especially with how much Trey and Luca are producing. You know, I think that Jackson probably has the third highest ceiling of last year's draft class. You know, people want to see, you know, flashes of him being on that level. And it's just harder to do as a big, especially as a big who still is developing his game and has the defensive upside that Jaron does. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that continues. But I agree at the end of the day, not really, you know, mentioning these things because, you know, I'm concerned or, you know, things such as that, you know, people shouldn't be concerned. It's just that, you know, we'd like to see him, you know, succeed. And a lot of times the consistency is the main thing that needs to catch up and that does with age. Parker, as we wrap up this edition of the 3D podcast, you know, obviously we're coming to the end of the calendar year. Joe Molinax typically has his call him at Christmas uh, mantra that he goes with uh, just to kind of you know, really see the true identity of this team. Uh, what is the one thing, as far as this team goes between now and Christmas, basically for the month of December? What's the one thing? Area where you really want to see this team take the next step? Is it defense? Is it consistency with shooting? Um rotations. What's the one thing that you really would like to see that you know you would consider a step in improving, you know, where the team currently is?
1: Um, Josh Jackson.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. That's really it. I mean, seeing if I want to see how far along they are with the Josh Jackson hustle assignment, but also too, I'd like to see more of an effort to get the Anthony Melton minutes when John Morant is in the lineup. That's those are the two really things that I would love to see between now and Christmas.
0: And that just goes back to the point that we had made earlier about you know putting a focus on the development of those young players. You know, you know that your core is going to contain Clark Valanciunas. Jackson Jr. and Morant. Who's going to be added to that? I think there are a couple of players who really could be a part of the future. You need to give them every chance possible to make that happen. And in all honesty, I don't think any of them have as high as a ceiling um, as Josh Jackson. Parker, thank you so much for joining us. Please stick around You know, and for us to be able to talk a little bit after the podcast. But again, my name is Sean Coleman. Um, you know, we, we appreciate you listening. Parker, when can they catch you and Nate and you and Joe on y'all's podcast during the week? absolutely you can catch the core four really any day of the week you never know when
1: we're going to come on (laughs) and you can catch joe and i on gbb live this
0: tuesday night
1: more than likely
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, definitely fun listening in. I know you all had a great con- conversation with Anthony Sain. You know, that's the thing about GBV Live. It's always an opportunity, you know, with Joe and Parker to probably get a voice in there, you know, who that you know, and just, you know, with the knowledge that Joe and Parker have with their guests, it's always a good product. And, of course, um, Nate and Parker deliver some of the best Grizzlies content out there on the Core 4. For Parker Fleming, my name is Sean Coleman. Thanks so much for joining us on the 3&B podcast. You can catch us. where Grizzly Bear Blues podcast. Are typically available. We thank you so much, and we'll see you next week here on the 3D Podcast. Yeah!